if you really if you spent half your year in deep snow in in Canada or Finland or whatever, yeah, sure. You know, it it will be really good at that stuff. But if you live in the New York tri-state area and you want to drive a 911 year round and it snows four or five times a year and and you know, you're only driving on a truly snow-covered road for that one day until they plow it and then it's just cold and wet, just get the regular one and put snow tires on it. Hey, folks, welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. Oh, we have a new sponsor, and it's NASCAR, the whole series. How about that? And guess what's coming up? I am really excited for this because we went last year, and it was awesome, to the clash at the Coliseum. That's right. NASCAR built a track Inside the L.A. Coliseum, they put on a crazy show. The race was really fun. It was so fun to watch in person. You could see the whole thing, all the action from the stands. Plus, they had they had a halftime because there's no um, pit entrance. So they had to have a halftime for the race to change all the tires on the cars, right? Because there was no way for the cars to get to a pit during the race because it was, did I say, inside of a football stadium and so there was like a concert at halftime uh it was a really interesting event and they're bringing it back this year it was super successful february 5th they're kicking off nascar's 75th anniversary season i can't wait to see it again they got us passes and guess what cypress hill is performing last year was pitbull and uh ice cube which is cool i like pitbull i like ice cube but I love Cypress Hill. And Cypress Hill is performing this year. It is going to be awesome. They have a pre-race concert. And then the stars of the NASCAR Cup Series will battle it out inside the Coliseum. And then at halftime, the actual pause for a Wiz Khalifa concert. So you got Cypress Hill opening for NASCAR and then Wiz Khalifa at halftime. It's going to be awesome. It's unlike anything NASCAR has ever done. It's so cool to see those beautiful next-gen cars ripping up laps inside of a legendary venue like the Coliseum. And it's really cool just to even see the track. So tickets are still available at NASCARClash.com. Or if you can't make it to the race, uh, be sure to tune it in uh, to the television program, the television broadcast, the Bush Light, Clash at the Coliseum. Coliseum on Sunday, February 5th, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern on Fox. I will be there with uh, Zach and uh, some other friends. If you're, if you're going in L.A., make sure to say hi. Clash at the Coliseum, February 5th, 2023. Get your tickets at nascarclash.com. We're also brought to you in part today by Factor. Love the Factor. We've done video ads for them. You've seen me eating their food. They send us food here at the shop every month, and Factor is great. If you're too busy to cook or you're too uh, uh, stressed to find healthy options, Factor is perfect. You skip the trips to the grocery store, skip the chopping, the prep, and the cleanup. Factor's got fresh, never-frozen meals. They're ready in just two minutes in the microwave. All you got to do is heat it and enjoy it, no matter your lifestyle. They've got it for you. Are you keto, calorie-smart? 
You vegan, you want vegetarian, you want protein plus. They're prepared by chefs, approved by dietitians, and every meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. Every week, they've got 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved options, so there's always something new to try. And you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 36 sweets, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. If you want to cut back on the takeout, just grab Factor instead. It's cheaper than takeout. Meals are ready faster than takeout in just two minutes. So if you get Factor, you can enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Just enjoy your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed stuff delivered directly to your door. It's ready in just two minutes, no prep and no mess. So head to factormeals.com slash tire50 and use code tire50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code tire50 at factormeals.com slash tire50. You got to use that tire50 code twice. Factormeals.com slash tire50 and then code Tire 50. Get you 50% off your first box. Of course, the Patreon is in full effect. We love the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Smoking Tire Podcast. You want to support the show directly? Do you want to not listen to me read these ads? Do you want to engage with the live stream? Do you want to ask questions of our guests? Do you want an extra podcast every month? And now, do you want a vid- an ad-free uh, video experience for our car review videos? All available at patreon.com slash the Smoking Tire Podcast. A tier for everybody. You can get a year up front, get a little discount there. You can go month to month. There's plans starting at just three bucks a month, uh, all the way up to 15 bucks a month for the maxed out everything at once, all the time plan. Uh, Patreon.com slash the Smoking Tire Podcast. Right. That's where we are. That's where we are. Hey, folks, welcome to a special episode of the Smoking Tire Podcast. We are on location today, out of the studio. It's a nice day to be out of the studio, and we are we are at the uh, L.A. Memorial Coliseum where NASCAR's built a racetrack. There is a track down there, and it, uh, it took them a month to build. And uh, this coming Sunday, February 5th, there will be a race in downtown L.A. inside of this stadium, the Bush Clash at the Coliseum. That's Bush Beer, not like a weird porn name, the Bush Clash. <laughs> um, it's going to be awesome. Zach and I went to this race last year, and it was real cool. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's it's amazing to see what they have turned this into. Yeah. This is where USC plays football, and then six weeks later, it's a racetrack with like hardened tarmac and everything. That's yeah. pretty wild engineering. Like race car level tarmac. It's not even like road tarmac. Yeah, very good point. Um, special. It's, it's a special kind of rubber that you need to ra- drive on with slicks so it doesn't like come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting. I posted on Instagram about this race uh, like a couple days ago. And there's two kinds of like people. Uh, people that are, you know, kind of curious about it uh, and, and think it's you know, some nice, like, outside-the-box thinking. And then hardcore NASCAR people that hate it. Why Why do they hate it? Because the speed? They just think it... Well, yeah, they think because it's such a small uh, track with relatively low speeds for NASCAR that it's just not that good of a race. And I can, I can actually see um, where that perspective uh, comes from. 
um, uh, if you are um, watching on TV. Because on TV, it probably just looks slow and safe. Yeah. I mean, you know, but in person, it's different. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's just like in, when you're here in person, it, it you can watch. It's so interesting because you can watch, you know, a car catch up to the car in front of it by two feet a lap. Yeah. You know, you can you can actually watch someone, rake, you know, rake someone in. You know, or or open up a gap, and in and that gap can be feet per lap, and you can actually see it. Well, and what's cool here is you can see the whole race, like you can yeah. see every corner with without having to turn your head. So if you're at the Daytona 500 or something, one they're all usually grouped together. But if they weren't, you have to like choose which side of the track you're looking at, and they're so far away you can't see those little moves. Yeah. So here you can see when someone's getting a little too much oversteer on mm-hmm. exit, and how the car ahead of them is pulling away. Right. In really small amounts, or vice versa, like right. you said. So you can kind of see the whole situation that's happening, which is. Which is more exciting, I think, than people are giving it credit for, especially if you watch the broadcast. You don't get that shot as often. Mm-hmm. They use a lot of the tight shots of the cars just driving by the wall, and you miss out on a lot of, like, the chess that's being played. Yeah, and, like, the fact that it's, like, right in the middle of the city means uh, a, a whole different audience will come to check it out. Mm-hmm. Then, And I, I realize why the hardcore NASCAR people might not be into that, but... If a sport is going to grow, you need to get new people to see it in person. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like racing, but like I'm not—I don't even want to drive out to Fontana to watch a race out there. Like most race tracks, especially super speedways, are like in the middle of nowhere. And so the idea that you could come to to right here and just like take an Uber here from your house um, is 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 so convenient. Um, and it and it gets a whole audience of people that wouldn't normally go to a NASCAR race. Plus, you got Cypress Hill performing yeah. uh, uh, the, the the opening uh, uh, before the race. Which hell yeah, fucking Cypress Hill I'm about that. I saw Cypress Hill when I was sixteen. Oh my god! Cyper- my, when I saw Cypress Hill in New York City when I was sixteen, it coincided. It was my first hip hop concert. Coincided with another big first in Matt Farah's life. It was the first time I'd ever tried delivery service weed. I, was, I knew that was going to be involved. So it was. It, was it wasn't just like, because I had smoked weed before that, but the delivery, when, the, when we discovered the delivery services, and this was before, you know, the movie Half-Baked came out. Like, that, they got that from the, the from real, real life. Which from real life. Yeah. And uh, the real delivery, they would come in the jars, and it was like, you know, normally the weed would come in the bag, and it would even if it was good, it would be kind of like mushed up, because that's what happens in a bag, versus a jar, where it looks like pristine and like sparkly. And we brought a lot, a lot of delivery service weed to the Cypress Hill concert. And it was also the first time I'd ever seen someone having sex, not just in public, but in a standing room concert. It was right next to us. That's impressive on a number of levels. It was. You know? I mean, I was extremely impressed. They do not get uh, shy. They're probably great public speakers. They're like, yeah, I can handle anything. It, yeah, it wasn't one of the members of Cypress Hill, oh, yeah, but no, it was, no, no. They're, well, that, they're busy. A very excited concert goer. <laughs> <laughs> that might be different than this show. Uh, uh, someone will be fucking in the stadium. Someone. The, just the math. The math alone says that. Right? I don't know. Probably. We'll have to find out. If you were a betting man, we should call this Vegas. place holds like 85,000 people. You put 85,000 people in one place for four hours, 
somebody's fucking. <laughs> right? The math just the math just says that. Well, we'll have to check with Vegas and see what the odds are. Bro. Maybe I mean if there's betting allowed, they'll have it. There's betting on this race, right? There's betting on all all NASCAR so. races, right? In Vegas and the sports so. book, you yeah. bet on bet on races. Probably. Yeah. If you can bet on horses, you should be able to bet on right, cars. Right, you bet on cars, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that but it's uh it's really, really cool to see um, this track built. There, it looks. I think they finished it like today. Mm-hmm. Like they just. I saw a forklift moving a, a, a safety barrier like five minutes ago, and it's now gone. So I can, think it's done. There's pictures on the LA Times from last year when they built it, and like, it's a, it is a very impressive, difficult construction project. Like, sure, there's a lot of heavy equipment going in. I mean, you, it's making a road in the middle of grass. Well, they sent it's us wild. the they sent us the the fact sheet. Right? Do you have it handy? Yeah. Here I have it. I have it handy. Here we go. So, one hundred and thirty thousand uh, square feet of uh, Viscian. What does that say? One hundred square feet of uh, field protection. So it's what they put down on the field because there's apparently field under that. That's crazy. They don't take the grass out. So there's field under it. One hundred thirty thousand square feet. Uh, Thirty-eight hundred and forty feet of temporary track wall. 9,200 cubic yards of uh, fill and aggregate base material. That's basically gravel, mm-hmm. right? 6,900 cubic yards of paving. 1,400 feet of uh, track catch fencing. 1,400 feet of safer barrier. Uh, they have to modify the tunnel uh, so that cars can get through it. Normally, football players run through uh, that. Well, they pave the tunnel. They pave it. Yeah, yeah. it just says modification to tunnel. So... So they do something there. Stage two tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's a lot of work. And then the race is over, and then they just jackhammer the shit out. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the, the, whoever had this idea, like, this seems like a fever dream. They're like, yeah. we, we, I, and I understand the motivation of, like, we need to pull in a new market, but let's turn a football stadium into a track temporarily. Yeah. And then we'll, t- and then we'll rip it out. And then the next year, 11 months later, I think we'll it's come a loss it leader. Again. It's got to be. There's no way know. they can earn a profit on that. Well, but I probably hope that, that has I to remember last, last day. year when we went, the, the response we had in the comments on Instagram, the number of people that went to this that had never watched a NASCAR race, it was some huge percentage of like 40 or 50 Yeah, I think it was like 40. Yeah, the, yeah. So the participants were, were like, oh, here's a new thing. Let's check it out. And that's what they're hoping for. And then those people will watch the, the races the rest of the season, become new fans, their kids become new fans, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. Playing the long game. It is pretty cool. Yeah. It's far cooler to watch in person than I think – People on the internet are giving it credit for. Everyone I know who came in person said it was great. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who watched it on TV were less impressed. Yeah. I mean, I think, as we know, the camera slows things down. You know, when we have to do drive-by shots for a video, I have to go, like, a crazy speed to make it look kind of fast. Yeah. You know, and so when you have a NASCAR that you're used to seeing, you know, 180 to 200 miles an hour on a super speedway and it's going, you know, 80 or 85 here, it's not going to look fast on camera. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, if you can just imagine accelerating the 80 up to 85 and down to 35 or 40 over and over inside of a stadium in a car, like it's pretty impressive. I, I heard they put mufflers on the cars this year. Oh, so, really? Because last year we were all wearing earplugs. Yeah. And it was loud. It was, it was really loud. It was loud. like a cool experience, but it was really loud. So, yeah. uh, I think mufflers is a good idea. I like that they came to that realization. Like, you know, guys, this is loud. 
Well, like, but, but so that is the selling point, that. like monster truck rallies. Yeah. It's indoors. It's those are some of the loudest vehicles I've ever been around. Sure. So it, but if they don't hand out ear protection to everyone, that's maybe where the problem came into play because we got it from like Hendrix. And I was like, oh, thank God, there's earplugs in here. Yeah, we got the good. We got the over ear. Uh, once. Yeah, if, if you don't have those, like, it's a little noisy. So they got mufflers, and it's going to be... It's not like they're going to be quiet. You still have 850,000 horsepower. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're going to be loud. Yeah. Um, but it's it's going to be very, very cool. I can't wait to go to the race on Sunday. They got qualifying Saturday, and there's all this, like, other stuff going on around the track. There's like, the, the, the paddock and the experience centers and so much beer. They were... We, so, we so drove much in here There was a lot of beer You could have built another tower out of it. Yeah, and right. Plus... Some people were saying they went last year, and you can go uh, to like the USC, the science, like the science museum where the space shuttle uh-huh. is, is over. Is like yeah, right it's over in there. like Exposition Park, like it's that. I mean, yeah, it's where that pyramid is. You can walk over there and yeah, see yeah. the spaceships and stuff. Yeah, so it's a, and apparently it's a nice George Lucas is building a giant Millennium Falcon that over there, which the looks cool. Well, it looks like a weird Hobbit house right now, but it's yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. I should have known more about it before I started talking about it, but apparently that's going to be a Millennium Falcon. So, I think he cool. went to USC's film school. Probably. So, sure. Yeah. Now he's like, well, I have $5 billion. <laughs> yeah. So what am I going to do with I'm this? chilling. So cool. give back. Um, thank you all for uh, saying such nice things about our 9-11 Dakar video. Um, we, uh, we spent a lot of time on that. I mean, not only, as I said with Doug, you know, I spent a lot of time flying to the other side of the world for that. And then Zach uh, spent a lot of time in the editing machine for that. How many mm-hmm. hours would you say you edited that for? 12? Mm, probably 16 to 20. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of footage and, to sift through first. That's like yeah. a day. Yeah, so it's like, it's tough, man, because it's, you know, the, the math is just impossible on that. Like, it's so funny because, like, that's what, like, we are clearly capable of making a television style and quality film, and it would take so little money in the scope of TV to actually do that every time. But it's so much more than YouTube pays. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless, like, unless it literally, so, you know, please... Please, uh, please share it if you if you like. I appreciate, I appreciate a, a kind email if you saw the film and you liked it, or appreciate a comment on the social media or a comment on the YouTube's. But sharing it is better um, because that's you know how people are gonna are gonna find it and watch it. And in order to justify something like that uh, in the future, it literally has to get ten to twenty the time the number of views that not like two or three like ten. Uh, times the number of views that a regular video gets. And so um, it was very fun to make. Um, the writing process and, and the, the footage gathering process and, and the editing process, it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to, to be creative. And people pointed out some, some com- uh, uh, comparisons to Anthony Bourdain, which is very, very much appreciated because he is a, a, a television uh, legend and big inspiration for us, I think. But... Um, you know, you, you can't you can't survive making videos that take a long time and lose money. That was the lesson of 2009 to 2014. <laughs> yeah. And people, a bunch of people were like, I love this new format. It's like, it's not a new format, man. This is this is the format we couldn't sustain before. Well, you know? because you get a lot of people come in during the one take, yeah, yeah. the rise of the one take. So they are not used to this. But yeah, it's, we've done this in a couple of channels. We've done it for TV and stuff. So like it's a... I really like exercising this muscle. It's yeah. really fun. 
but uh, it's just the finances don't really work out if we try to do it in the long term. Yeah, I mean, and and it's it's a if there's a press launch in an exotic location um, where you know otherwise footage gathering opportunities are limited, you know, and then I can get a lot done with a phone, um, and and writing does help um, to tell that story, um, and I'm glad that I just made that decision to do that before I went because. Um, the the in-car opportunity uh, to shoot video was very limited, mainly because I spent most of the time in Morocco um, sharing a car with somebody. So, uh, which is fine if you're if you're writing. Who gives a shit if you're sharing a car with somebody? But if you're trying to make video, um, you know, you don't just want some like random dude in the car. Um, well, because you you covered a lot of ground that I didn't really use in the video because it just didn't fit with the script. But you guys did like a slow not rock crawl, but like a slow drive up a mountain road mm-hmm. and there was a transit on a dirt highway. Yeah. There were, I mean, you drove, did a lot of driving to get to the dunes. So yes. like what percentage of the driving was the dunes themselves, do you think? Like I got probably two 10-minute hard runs on the dunes. That was it. There was a lot of fire road. Um, there was a lot of uh, highway transit. There was a couple of miles of that path, uh, uh, that that sort of rocky trail up that mountain, mm-hmm. and and of all of those things, I drove half. You know, I shared the car with someone, so I probably had a total of three or four hours of seat time, twenty minutes of which was on the deep sand, and so we had to use, you know. Um, I had to use, we had to use all of it, you know, every, I had, I had three cameras on the car for all of the dune driving that I did. So we had to use a lot of it. And yeah, we, we probably could have made the video longer if we used more in car, a lot of it, it would have gotten a little bit, uh, repetitive. Um, but, um, but it, it, it worked out. I think the end length of the video was the right length, and the viewer learns everything they really need to know about the car that's important um, and, and everything about that trip that was important mm-hmm. um, and why, you know, it's so... The conclusion, I think, that, that I came to is important, which is that a car like that, which also applies to a, a F-150 or Bronco Raptor, or a Safari Vintage 911 is they're great if you are the kind of person who will use it. You know, having a Raptor that that never goes off road is actually worse than having a regular F one fifty. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and so um that was the lesson of of me having a Raptor because I traded my Raptor for a minivan that was better at everything I used the Raptor for, <laughs> except the twice that I went off road. And so I, you know, not only do I think that the Dakar is so, it's, it's such a great product for its goals, but it's, it's sad that um, many people won't use it for the thing that it's designed for. And, it's, you know, if I scrounged together the money and bought one, which, I, I, you know, I can't afford it right now, but, even, but if I found a way somehow, if I sold the M3 and, you know, put a down payment on the, on the, on the on a Dakar and drove it for a year and then maybe tried to, to to sell it or something to get my money back like I I would even me personally would not do that 
in my own car. That's why the Dakar is like the best press launch vehicle ever because in order to really get something out of it, you have to treat it like tomorrow doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And same thing with a, with a Ford Raptor or, or any of those, those type of vehicles that are designed for going fast off-road. You, you have to not care about the scratches. You have to not care about the squeaking from the brakes where the, the, cause there's sand you know, jammed all in there. You, know, you bottom it out or smash the skid plate on something or hit the bump stop, and you have to be like, well, eh, moving on. You know. And you also can't get the trail wrong because, I mean, you, you were in a good position there where they, they pre-ran the whole, they made this course, right? Mm-hmm. So they know that it's going to be really hard to really damage the vehicle. Yeah. But if you were just a person that went out to an off-road area, you know, off-road park, and you didn't pre-run, the, if you were dumb and you didn't pre-run the thing yeah. and then you started going too quickly, you could go over a crest into a dip that is so big, like you bend a control arm or yeah. break something. And that is probably not going to be covered under warranty. So that's another risk with it. Like you, it's not that this thing, it's, it's well built and it is, it can do a lot, but it is not impervious. Yeah. So that is a danger when you have these things. Yeah. Like Romain Dumas was out there with us and he said, you know, the coolest thing about this car, it's not necessarily what it can do. It's, but, but that it's a Porsche. And so the, in their testing, they didn't break it, you know, now they didn't like send it off huge jumps, you know, they didn't, they didn't intentionally take it beyond its design capabilities because it's not what Porsche does. But if you use it as designed, it should be pretty stout and pretty reliable. But in an off-road area, a big rock could come out of nowhere. A big hole could come out of nowhere. You know, deep sand that could come out of nowhere. Like, if you don't, you know, we had, we had guides that knew where to go mm-hmm. and they were pretty specific about like you know have fun like make the car move around we're not going to go slow but we know that this road then this trail that we're on is fine and if you go more than a certain amount you know out of our tracks like who knows right you could get stuck you could just end up in really deep soft sand yeah and they got to tow the thing out and yeah. they had yeah they had like um Land Cruiser Prados, you know, with spare tires and spare parts. And no one, nobody broke anything while we were there. Nobody got any flats while we were there. Um, And they were very impressed at how well the tires were holding up for eight or ten waves of this launch. Um, But it's, you know, you just, you you shouldn't bother with something like this if you're not going to use it. Well, so what if you, because it, it would be dumb to buy one of these if you live in L.A., because if all you're getting is the experience of accelerating them, like you can get that from a Carrera, right? Like the mm-hmm. regular one. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're a person that lives in a snowy climate, you don't that's even the question. Do you need this no. over a, a C4S with snow tires? Nope. No. No. It doesn't. Even with the I ground mean, clearance and the stuff that would protect I mean, that if front you're, fascia. Like, if you're Jeff Zwart mm-hmm. and Jeff Zwart is getting one, you know, he sent me his spec. Um, you know, he's a rally driver and he drives on dirt, snow covered dirt a lot. You know, if you really, if you spent half your year in deep snow in, in Canada or Finland or whatever, yeah, sure. You know, it, it will be really good at that stuff. But if you live in the New York tri-state area and you want to drive a 911 year round and it snows four or five times a year and, and you know, you're only driving on a truly snow-covered road for that one day until they plow it, and then it's just cold and wet. 
just get the regular one and put snow tires on it. You don't you don't need all this. Now, what about if the roads are terrible in your city? Because, like, one thing you said about your safari is that it was a good city car because the roads here are bad, so you didn't have to worry about bottoming so things out or potholes. The Dakar is actually kind of similar to my car in that regard. It, The big bumps, the big dips, like in L.A., we've got these swales for drainage. We don't have proper sewers. We just have, like, ditches cut into the road. And I took some heat on the last, I, I was talking about either the Dakar or my safari on another show. And I said, yeah, you can, you can just stay flat over. And I said, I said this phrase, and I, I can't blame someone for misunderstanding what I mean. But I said, yeah, you just go flat over speed bumps. And the way this person took it was like, you call yourself an urbanist and you're talking about going flat over speed bumps. And I was like, whoa, I don't mean you go into some residential area you know, or a parking lot and literally go flat over speed bumps. In my city, the roads are crowned and there are these big dips, which I, poor choice of words, called speed bumps. And in the safari, you don't, you know, in a, in a GT3... In you my have car, to, you got to slow down to 10 miles an hour. In a like GT3, it's to slow down to three oh, and okay. take it at a weird angle. You know, and this in, is in the middle of a road, by the way. This is not yeah. always at a stoplight where you're stopped. Yeah. Like this is you're going 40 and then you have to slow down for these bumps and then yes. accelerate back to 40. In the safari, you can hit them at the speed limit and the speed limit doesn't change because that thing is there. So right. so that's what I meant. And if if someone misunderstood, I'm not mad. I chose a bad, a bad point of words. I'm not saying you should go flat through a residential area, but the big bumps, the big dips, the Dakar soaks that shit up great but it still has 19 and 20 inch wheels on it and so the little bumps where it's not where it's little cracks in the road and and it's not enough to really compress the shock and the shocks are 50 or the springs are 50 percent softer than a gts but that's still basically like carrera mm, it's yeah. not like it's it's not like it's wrx or lincoln town car it's still sports car springs. And so you could see in the video, like, it's still pretty stiff. It's not, it's not a trophy truck. You know, you're not going to, it's not going to just float over that stuff. It's softer than a 911 GTS, but it's not softer than, you know, it's not the softest 911 you've ever driven. I mean, right. even a, a regular Carrera might even be softer. Um, so it handles the big bumps really well with the extra travel, but the little bumps that aren't enough to compress the shock, it still feels quite sporty. And so um, it doesn't ride quite as soft as you think it would ride. Mm, interesting. Yeah. It's not, because they do want it to feel, quote, like a sports car, like a right. Porsche. So it still has precise steering. You know, like I said in the video, it'll run eight minutes, lo low eight minutes around the Nürburgring. So quick. You know, on all-terrain tires. It's fun to see that. Um. Yeah. No. I. I was like, do you have a video? Can't they of clip that? the curbs and sh you know shave a couple? Well, that's minutes. what I, I. I. said. I was. Like, you could straight line stuff for sure. And they're like, yes, this is not in the spirit of the Nurburgring. Right, yeah, yeah, Remember when Vaughn Gittin did it in a Raptor and mm -hmm. cut every curb? Yeah. Like, it was like that. Um, How many are they making? Twenty five hundred. Yeah, they'll sell every one of those. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So they're already sold. They're they're either already sold or the dealers that have allocations. They're putting tons of ADM on them and and. And, and I did call my dealer out of curiosity and say, hey, you know, if I wanted one of these, what's the deal? And he's like, 
It's kind of like sport classic where, you know, it's just there's going to be a ton of ADM. Did on you these. see the photo of, I think it was like Woodland yeah. Hills or something. It was, it was basically 250 over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, And they sold it. They sold it. Yeah, they, they got it. I mean, wow. th- there are people in this world that that we're, for whom money doesn't matter. Yeah. There, I mean, there just are. Yeah. And I don't like that that's part of our world, I actually. You know, I, I was just at... Um, this past weekend, I went to the Concourse Club in Miami, which is a private racetrack country club in Miami. It's like that. It's like having a. It's like having this NASCAR track in the middle of the city. It's like that. Um, you know, there's like the Thermal Club in Monticello and all these other private tracks, but they're they're all kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, you know, even Thermal Club is like 45 minutes from from or 40 minutes from Palm Springs. Um, this place is right in the middle of Miami. Whoa. It's next to the, it's, it's literally attached to the airport where the private jets fly in. And so, um, lovely place, lovely people. They were very nice. A membership is $375,000 to get in. Whoa. Plus like 35, 40 grand a year, uh, in annual. Whoa. And they have, uh, car condos with sort of lounge areas attached, but that are not zoned for living. And those are ten to twelve thousand dollars a month, and you can park eight to ten cars in there. So for ten, twelve thousand a month, you can't even use that as your vacation home. Whoa! Yeah. So so like and and by the way, they've sold hundreds of memberships, and it's a nice place. And I'm not uh, and and I don't know what it's like to have that kind of money to burn, uh, you know. And and the 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 sales guy who I was talking to was super cool, and he was like, "Think about the you know, twenty when I was there, twenty four hours of Daytona was on." He's like, look at this race. He's like, 90% of the people in this race are paying to do this race. They're paying $100,000 to $500,000 to race for yeah. this weekend. Yeah. How many of those people would like to have access to a track, you know, 300 days a year that's private and has a nice restaurant and has nice facilities and has a, a tuning shop and a detailing shop on site? And so... Well, it kind of goes back to the Dakar thing where any of these vehicles... McLaren Senna, Dakar, that are at such a high level of performance for a specific task that if you don't use it for that, and if all you do with a Senna is drive around town, show people that you have a Senna, and occasionally occasionally hit the gas and have it accelerate slightly faster than a 720, yeah. like you're missing the point. So I like, I'm I'm happy there are these places where the people that buy the seven figure cars can take them and drive them because that's what they should do with them. The irony of, of a lot of these tracks, though is that they are too small to to really drive cars that are that fast, um, including the Thermal Club, including the Concourse Club. Both of those tracks are perfect if you have, like, a Cayman GT4 Club Sport. Like, 400 horsepower, 2,800 pounds. It's, like, the perfect size, shape track for that. otherwise, in, in a 720, you're the longest straight at Thermal, you're done in... Three seconds, right? Yeah, you're going, you know, you can get that car up to 120, 130 miles an hour, but you do a track day at Auto Club Speedway, you go 180 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Or a track day at Watkins Glen or Road America, where you can go 150 plus three times a lap. Yeah. Um, And and again, it's it it just, it is what it is. If you want to build a track in the city, you're not going to have a mile long straight. Um, And also, a lot of these people, as the sales guy told me, they get memberships to these tracks. With, they have no track experience. He said, you know, and, and I believe this. He said, you know, it, 25 years ago, if you wanted to start doing track stuff, you'd go to a school. Yeah. Skippy or one of those schools, right? Um, Bondurant, you name it. Now, 
the it's the HPDE model where your first day you're going to an HPDE. You don't even the the model of organization of HPDE is not even very good. How do I do a track day? Mm-hmm. Wait, I have to go to one of these third party organizations. I don't just go to the track. Like what what does that mean? And then when you get to that HPDE, your instructors might be great, might not be great. They're only there to get some free track time. They're not on salary. They're not necessarily vetted. Well, Maybe. also at at Skippy or Bondurant, they start your day with classroom then yeah. they go exercises yes. like threshold breaking and right. then you know uh uh like s's yeah uh, slalom and like they work you up to now you're ready for road course right but if you show up with your brand new 992 turbo and they just go all right you're in the novice group right go out and follow the other cars and then maybe someone will ride with you maybe not like, and all you want is to not be in the novice group anymore that's what that's what this dude was, he was like you do an hpde as a novice like just get me out of this green group you know, that's all That's all people really want. Um, Why do they want that? Just because they don't Pride. Want, oh. Just pride. Is enough. Yeah. You know, just, just pride. Um, but, you know, at, the, at these, so they join these, these country clubs where the instructors are salaried, on staff, you know, vetted pros um, who will work with you for a full day. Just you and them, open track. No one else is on it. Maybe one or two other cars are on track. Um, and there's, there's data analysis, you know, live stream, uh, video, uh, back to the pits. The instructor's not even in the car with you. He's on comms. He's watching your, your camera, uh, and, and talking you during your lap, but he's not even in the car. So instructors having the best day ever. You don't, he doesn't have to ride right seat ever. Right. It's a lot safer. And so, you know, and, 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 and at the same time, these folks want to buy really, really fast cars, um, just out of nowhere. You know, I've never been on a track before, but I've got a 720 or I buy a cup car, you know, because someone told them that was the thing to do <laughs> um, with a cup car. Yeah. yeah. And so. So anyway, the, the, the point being, there's just there's there's people for whom the, the money is just there. They've got so many zeros after that. Anyway, they don't just don't give a fuck. Right. When um, I saw that sport classic, I was just shocked. It was, you know, half it, 280, I think $280,000 MSRP. And this is going for 500. And yeah. You know, you can get, I think you can get a lot of the experience of that car in far cheaper vehicles. Yeah, of course but you can. Those from Porsche. Yeah. I mean, how much different yeah. is a sport classic from a rear-wheel drive stick GTS, really? It's not that. Very, yeah, very little. You know, the, it's, the, and it, the la, it's the last 10% of the of the throttle. And, of course, it's the aesthetics because they change the body panels a little bit. And then the exclusivity. A lot of people, you know, want yeah, to buy yeah. it. And, and they and see it as an investment. Way. Maybe right. they could flip it again or, or you know, or whatever. Um, and, and that's fine. You buy, buy whatever you want, buy whatever you can afford. But, um, with the, um, you know, with the Dakar, it's, it's, you really, it's, if you're just going to drive it on the street, it's less good than the regular one. Like it's not better on the street than a, just a GTS. Like it's just not, even if you live in a city where the roads are kind of crappy, Regular 911s ride really well. You know, just get, you get an S, you get a, a GTS without, like, PASM, and it'll, it'll ride just fine. You put snow tires on it, it'll drive great in the snow if the snow's not, like, crazy deep. Mm-hmm. See, so you're, you don't need a Dakar because it snows four days a year. Just like you don't need a Raptor if you're going to drive on a fire road once or twice a year or go camping. You know, you did that 
you did the uh, the backcountry discovery route with me yeah, a year hybrid. ago in a regular-ass F-150 hybrid. You did not need a Raptor to go a 1,000 miles off-road. Yeah, and at times the Raptor is not as helpful as a regular uh, truck because it's wider. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we do this. Like, I've taken those trucks off-road before, and on, like, Jeep Trail, it won't fit. Yeah. I mean, there are <laughs> Jeep Trails that are meant, they're called Jeep Trails, but, like, yeah. basically any SUV will fit on them. And granted, cars have grown, but, like, a Raptor is too wide for right. some of the legit trails that are out there. So, anyway, um, you know, the Dakar is is very, very cool, and it's and 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 I understand why they make it. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to write about this in, for Road and Track. Um, you okay there? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna write about this for Road and Track. I it di- I didn't make it. I didn't. It didn't make it into the video. When I got there, I was certain that the Dakar was capitalizing on when Porsche saw the trend of of people safariing their older cars. Yeah, but they claim and they have photos to back it up that they have Dakar mules going back to 2012, nine nine one dot one mule. And so they said they have been working on this concept for like 10 years, uh, developing it, and through three generations of car, dot one, dot two, and now 992. Why did they decide to do it back they, in 2012? It was, a, it was a fun side project in the beginning, and then they kept bringing it around to their hot weather and cold weather testing, just kind of playing with it. Um, so someone built it almost like a passion project. Yeah. An engineering team. Yeah. And then it was just like, well, we can bring that too. We can bring yeah. that too. And then I wonder if the trend coincide, like the trend had to have an effect. I, I mean, I'm sure it had some kind of marketing to get effect. get it greenlit. Yeah, know, yeah. If they had the mule going back that far. And, yeah. it, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like car companies, it's so risky to build a brand new car or a new idea of a car and try to sell it and hope people buy it. So, of course, they're going to wait until the market lets them know, hey, sure. we're, we're down. Like, yeah. we're into this. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure it had something to do with it. They weren't totally unaware that people were doing this. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, but, but they, they had been working on it for a very long time. And, and so, you know, they said it was really when the, the, the marketing team and the, uh, the anniversary of the rally cars, the, the thir- uh, 40th anniversary of the first rally car or whatever, 30th anniversary... 40th anniversary of the uh, the Rothmans car, right. the original one, and of four wheel drive, and and the technology that they have at their disposal in the 992, um, able to optimize all the systems for rally style driving, um, came together and allowed them to to you know build this thing. But um, if you're going to use it, you're. I mean, they were like even Porsche was like the guys in Dubai. And Saudi will treat this thing like it's disposable, and they will have the best time yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, and and people who treat it like it's a collector's item will think it's dumb because it's just it on the street. It's a less good nine eleven, still good, but less good. And and on 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 the trails, it's amazing. Um, and if you don't actually take it on the trails, you won't. You really won't find it rewarding. I mean, we know that driving on dirt is some of the most fun you can have in a vehicle, mm-hmm. like period, full stop. So if you have one of these vehicles, find a way to take it to a safe dirt place. It could be fire road, it could be a rally school, with yeah. whatever. There's got to be something near you where there's a place you could drive it on the dirt yeah. to experience that. Otherwise, and, you know, put you put paint protection point? film on it yeah. or, or whatever, and, and, and it is, you know, it is what it is. We, 992, brand new 911s, whether it's a Carrera or a GT3, 
they need to be used as regular cars. They're act, I, I've learned this from my other job at Westside. They fucking act up when they sit because Porsche didn't design them to sit. They designed them to just be used as cars. And so if you use them as a car, they work. If you use them like they're supposed to be used, like they work just fine. Like nobody broke any Dakars on the launch. Romain Dumas didn't break the Dakar, beating the balls off it for, they did 500,000 kilometers in the mule. Like I think 10,000 was on dirt. 10,000 right? was on dirt and, and a bunch was very hot weather, very cold weather. You know, all, all those extreme conditions that they do, which I think is probably why the Dakar will be the better uh, exotic rally car than the Lamborghini. It's just there's more development behind it. Um, but, but like, they didn't break it. And if, like, if they didn't break it, like, you're probably not going to break it either. Well, and to go back, when you say the cars fuck up when they sit, it's like the batteries drain, right? Yeah, like the lithium yeah. batteries aren't happy, and, and you get error codes. Like, it's just shit. just just stuff that... And even Porsche will tell you, like, this car is meant to be driven, you know, a couple hundred miles a month at a minimum. And if you don't, like, you know, they said we one car, the lithium battery wasn't holding right. And they said, you have to drive this car 60 miles a week minimum. And, you know, for a car, that's not much. But for a collectible. A car or a yeah. tenth car. Yeah. Yeah. For a yeah. car. And in the case of this particular car, the client of mine doesn't live in Los Angeles. And so... In order to make that happen, the client has to pay us to drive the car. Otherwise, the car is, gets fucked up. Wow. Like, yeah, it's annoying. Wow, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, please please watch that that video. Uh, we, we worked very hard on it. Please share it. Um, we appreciate a, a, a nice email, but we appreciate a share uh, even more. And uh, if you have any Dakar questions, if you're in the live chat, get them in that Patreon feed uh, before we get to that section of the show. Um, what else do we have on the, uh, the schedule today? Is that it? Yeah. I mean, Doug, we can do Doug questions if you want. We have a lot leftovers. of leftovers from Doug. We had a lot. We went out to dinner with, um, with Doug's, Doug and his investment team. After the last show, which was actually was very interesting. Yeah, it was, was some, cool. It was there cool. was some folks there. Interesting mix of people. Yeah, and yeah. I really liked Billy, the organizer's approach of like musical chairsing everyone after a little <laughs> while because you know we. I have social anxiety, so I'm in a group with the people I know. Yeah, and I think a lot of people do that. And he recognized like, all right, everyone's having a conversation they've had before. So in the middle of dinner, he just like. You're moving. You're moving. You're <laughs> yeah. moving. You're moving. And then he did it one more time. It's like, yeah, that's great. That's yeah, a great way to kind of like foster conversation in a group that uh, where not everyone knows each other. Yeah, and I finally got to meet uh, Philip Seraphim, who was the guy who bought and brought back the Myers-Manx brand with the new EV Myers-Manx uh, designed by Freeman Thomas. And he said, I can have a go, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, he's like, there's um, one down the street. <laughs> yeah, he said, there's one down the street with no body on it. He said, there's a mule. Ooh. There's a mule right down the road. And I was like, can I drive that one? And he's like, I don't know about that. It might be a little, but, but uh, yeah, that should be very cool. Um, congratulations to uh, to Doug for the Cars and Bids acquisition. Yeah. Seems like they'll probably do pretty well with that. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what becomes of it, or what comes of it, rather. Like, what are they planning to do? And, what, yeah. you know, five years from now, we'll look back and go, oh, that's that's where it's gotten, or that's where it began, and here's where it is. I anticipate there being, like, you know, other people besides just Doug making videos of the cars that go on, that can go on Cars and Bids, you know. That's, but it's a, it does take like a whole team. I mean, when you yeah. list, you list a car. It's like you need a an auction specialist for every car, 
And like, there's only so many of those that one person can manage. I mean, I imagine one person could probably manage 10 to 20 auctions at a time, right? Yeah, depending Maybe. if they're a week, if they're up for a week. Yeah, and it depends on that person's uh, intrinsic knowledge of the cars, like how much research do they have to do to fill in all the blank stuff and the information. Yeah, or not like, but they, but, either, but that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to manage. And I and they probably will also exp- like for instance, right now you can't put a car older than nineteen eighty one on cars and bids. So why why they came up with that cutoff, I don't know. Um, but but one thing that they did say was they intend to uh, remove some of those limitations that are there. Um, and 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 staff up to 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 make make it so that it, you can do stuff like that. I mean, I wanted to list a car on cars and bids that I thought would be a good fit for it, but it was like a 1973 Beetle, and it just did. They were like they couldn't do it. So, um, but uh, yeah, and let's uh, let's get to uh, let's get to that stuff. What have we here? Uh, Greg Scott, I'm just going to take the computer mm-hmm. over here. Greg Scott says, listening to the Mike Guy episode, you guys were discussing the new Z and some of its shortcomings. What sort of improvements could Nissan make to the next model year to improved? Um, I mean, it's, it's shortcomings. I mean, other than the fact that the suspension gave up, I mean, they, they could make it not do that. Um, it's, I put the Z in, in, a, in the same kind of packaging as a, as a regular Mustang GT, it has to be good on in the roads. You know, it has to be usable as an everyday car by an everyday person. It's not a hardcore uh, gearhead car. Um, it has to be driven by people who only maybe like how it looks, you know, who don't really give a shit about cars besides, oh, that's a nice looking coupe. You know, and I'm going to cool buy the automatic and just can drive to work in it. Um, and so it's the kind of thing where if you want to narrow the focus of the car in order to, you know, make it good on track, you might have to change the suspension. You might have to change the wheels and tires. You might have to change the brakes. Uh, Nissan is going to do some of that on its own with a Nismo variant and with um, Nismo dealer installed accessories. But it, it's a good place to start. 400 horsepower for $40,000 and and you've got to finish it. Um, and if you really want a car that will hold up to high temperature track day lapping. And I think that's fine because we know that like the, the Mustang GT is a fine grand touring car, everyday car. But if you want to go to the track, you need to get performance pack one or two. Like, mm-hmm. and those affect the handling, they affect the feel, they affect the durability. And those are, if you are that person, you need to be willing to write the check to buy that upgraded car that's meant for you. Because I think it's easy to criticize a car that is not meant for a specific purpose, and I don't think it's really fair to it. Like they're trying, like you said, they're trying to sell the, uh, you know hundreds of thousands of those to lots of people, but ten percent of those people are going to care about uh, the turn-in feel, and then five percent of them are going to go to the track. So it's either up to the aftermarket to for you to make the car what you want, or for them to roll out special editions, which is what every car company does. But if the if the base car has a good foundation and it's a good jumping off point, then great. Yeah. Um, Andrew N. says, uh, what is the most American car built by a non-American manufacturer? Um, I don't know uh, where every car is built, but I can, I can say with confidence that lots of BMW SUVs are built in South Carolina. The X5 and X6 are built in, um, in um, what do you call it, 
uh, what's the name of the where's Spartanburg? Spartanburg, Spartanburg yeah. South Carolina. Uh, Mercedes builds SUVs. I think also in South Carolina. Um, Aren't a lot of Fords assembled in Mexico? Yeah, but they that's the other way. That's an American what? car maker making cars not in America. What is the most this American is American car built, car built oh, by a yeah, non-American yeah. um, Hondas and Acuras, proudly built in Ohio. Yeah, NSX. Yeah, was built in Ohio, and also the Accord uh, was is built in Ohio. Um, Texas, uh, they there's some there's Toyota Toyotas plan. in yep. Texas. I mean, there's there's a lot of you know. Well, the Tundra. I mean, they built a whole new plant for the new Tundra. Yeah, and it's all assembled outside. Like I don't know, it's like an hour outside of Austin. Yeah, so that's. Um, there's a bunch. I mean, yeah, we got Germans, we got Japanese. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, 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 uh. Andrew, also Andrew N. Uh, allegedly, Genesis will be building the Genesis X convertible as a low volume Halo car for two to three hundred thousand. Uh, seems like an odd decision based on how big luxury coupes are selling and low volume Halo cars limit exposure. Is this a mistake? Uh, what should they build instead? I think that's a really cool looking car. It's really good looking. Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. Well, it's not, and something we talked about, Doug, that aligns with this is that Hyundai and Gen, well Genesis, like if you go back more than five years, the cars were not great, and then before that, they didn't even exist. The brand is like fairly new. So I think someone asked us like why that's not included in the sort of vintage luxury coupe like world. It's like well they're not they don't have this. 50-year, 100-year tradition like Mercedes. They don't even have a 20-year tradition. Yeah. So I think this is a way for them. They've done a really good job of making good-looking, luxurious cars that cost less than some of their competition, but they need something that really says, no, 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 we are in this different league. Like, we are up here with yeah. the rest of you guys. Yeah, like, you know, when Toyota launched Lexus, the LS400 wasn't just better than all the Toyotas. It was better than the S class, and it was better than the Audi, and it was better than the the BMW Seven Series. Like, objectively, better. It wasn't just like better for the money. It was also just better. Um, my dad bought a Lexus LS four hundred when it was new, and it was shocking what that car felt and drove like, and the refinement of it. It was if you go to an if you get in a a 1991 LS 400 versus a 1991 BMW seven series and a 1991 Mercedes. The difference is comedy. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much nicer that car was from a materials and installation standpoint. It was faster. It had more power. And so uh, Genesis has never really done that. They've made some very nice cars. The G 90 is nice. The GV60 and GV80 or whatever are, are nice, but they're not mind-blowing products that just smash it out of the park and, and embarrass the rest of the competition. If Genesis builds this thing, and it's 250 grand, but it is objectively much nicer than an S-Class convertible mm. and on the level of a Bentley GT, people will be like, wow, this is what they can do. Right. Um and 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 I, I don't know. I don't see any reason uh, not to build that. I mean, uh, here in California, you know, big luxury convertibles are still selling. Um, you know, Bentley GTCs and and Rolls Royce Dons and and stuff like that is around. Um, so they've already got you know luxury SUVs. They've they've already got sedans. Um, 
it would be nice if they built a cool sports car. Uh, they don't have one at the moment. Well, and also if it's limit, if they do a limited run or a small run, it's I think it's worth it to a brand to do those kinds of things. Almost like the Dakar, like you know, we are, we're always on the sports car side of thing or the, or the performance side of things. But a brand needs something that they need a, a flag they can plant, and they might not sell a hundred thousand of them. But if they don't need to, they still find another benefit. Then I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard James wrote a very long question, but has basically wants a fun car under 45,000 that has a DCT or a very good automatic because he has arthritis and can't drive a manual. Um, he mentions the only good ones he's seen are the Hyundai uh, Elantra N and Kona N and, and the Golf R. Uh, anything else with a, good, good. with a good DCT? I mean... It's a little out of your price range, but the Audi S3 is a, is a nicer Golf R. Um, you, if you're willing to go used, you can go uh, RS3 or TTRS uh, as well. The BMW uh, 228i that we drove, the 228 or 230M Sport. How much was that thing, Zach? 46? Uh, the red one? Yeah. Uh, it's in the 40s. I think it was like 38 or 41. Yeah, that I mean, was the, a really t- nice the 228. Car. It was it was a torque converter auto, but it was very very responsive yeah. and fun. I mean, and anything with a ZF8 speed now yeah. is is pretty good for yeah. enthusiasts. Yeah, I mean, even like the 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 Mustangs with the 10 speeds, they're pretty good. Yeah, um, and uh, even even the BRZ auto, which is a six speed. Yeah, like, actually, the paddles were the paddles good. are good. Yeah, yeah, the paddles are good on. You that. got a lot of good options out there. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I you know the CVTs you don't want for you sure, do not but want a CVT. but anything with uh, with a ZF for sure will be pretty decent. ZF or the Ford ten speed. Yeah, uh, Sarong Singh, what was objectively the worst car you've ever driven that you'd still consider owning? The worst car you've ever driven that you'd still consider owning. Um, Worst car I've ever driven that I'd still consider owning. Oh well, the Tercel from All Cars Go to Heaven one. Oh, I mean, I would consider because it's just that was yeah, really comfortable and reliable as anything. Um, I mean, uh, there's a lot of old cars, of course. Yeah, like I've driven a couple like muscle cars that were pretty terrible, but you know, kind of charming in their own sort of way. Anything from the 30s is yeah gets by entirely on charm and noise. But they are not comfortable, safe, anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe if it was running good, maybe that 1902 Packard we did the veteran run in. Because that, I'd like, like that's, if it was a terrible car terrible. that got you uh, an entry into a cool event like that, you know, there's there's a there's a trend of of, of buying uh, vintage cars, of, of a variety of different vintage cars, in order to gain entry into certain types of events like the Mili Milia, the Copper State 1000, what have you. Uh, the veteran run thing is pretty fun. And in fact, we're going back. Yeah. And Donald Osborne has a different Audrain car for us to drive. Oh, we're not cool. going to take the Packard again, but um, we will be racing 120 year old cars again. Uh, but they've also moved it to May. Oh, good. Yeah. So it, it was in it was in March originally, so it was on Donald's birthday. But everyone was freezing, and I think complained. Yeah, the weather was terrible. It was so cold. It was so, so cold. So uh, yeah, it'll be in May this year. Should bring a horse as a the, backup. If you want to come out, it's really funny. To, it's fun to watch. Come out to uh, Newport, uh, Rhode Island, to see the uh, the Audrain Veteran Run. Um, 
That's about the worst car I've ever driven that I would still consider owning. Or the Model T Speedster that I drove for Road and Track. Bothwell's Model T Speedster. That was terrible and very fun. Um, let's see. Uh, Amatore 911. What is the most fair way for manufacturers to sell these low-supply, high-demand enthusiast cars like the Civic Type R and the GR Corolla? Should it be a no-reserve auction and let the market decide? Should it be a lottery system? Should there be an application process to see brand loyalty? I think it should be first-come, first-serve. Like yeah. Call the dealership. I call them before you. The car is there. It's like if, if we go to a grocery store, if I grab the last carton of eggs just because I got there before you, like... You sh- I shouldn't. You shouldn't go. You should write a letter to the grocery store and tell them how you know they're an enthusiast of eggs. What are you going to do with the eggs? Yeah. Are you going to cook the eggs? You make an omelet? Like I-, I think I'm going to do a lot more with these eggs than you are. No, it should be it should be first come first serve and get rid of the loyalty and get rid of the ADM. I I agree. Uh, if there was a if there was an open and honest way to do first come first come first serve and you have to display the list on the board, you know. So if you walk in, you can see. There are 10 people on the list, and if I put my name down, I'm number 11. You know, so so it's a transparency of the list. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to tell Zach he's third on the list, but then when that third car comes in and someone goes, hey, I'll give you 25 over for that car, now I'm third on the list. Right. You know, transparency. Otherwise, no reserve auction. I mean, if, 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 if what you want is ADM, if that's the move, it's if it's biggest dollar gets it, then... Let it fly at no like reserve from the beginning. Well, no, like either every, no, like no reserve or the reserve is the is the MSRP. Start auction, starting auction and MSRP for a week. You know, we'll let it we'll let it fly at at the reserve MSRP. I mean, that's more fair than putting two fifty over on the window and then haggling with everybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, first come first serve. Um. Let's see. Uh, Dave from Minnesota. Thoughts on the Buick Regal Tour X wagon? That is an underrated wagon. Have you driven one? We filmed one for um, Proving Grounds. Really? And I looked I've never at driven it, one. Never it, been around one. It is a very comfortable, fairly quick wagon. The profile, if you took the badge off and put Jaguar on the front, it would work. Like, really? it's a really good-looking estate. Yeah. And okay. no one cares about it because it's a Buick. Yeah. Brad, Brad Brownell uh, had one and really liked it, I think. Yeah. We yeah. liked it, like, and the other hosts on the show liked that car. I have, I have no thoughts on it, but if Zach has uh, has experience, we will go with him. Um, let's see, Adrian Aguero uh, from Costa Rica. I want to go with my friends for an extended weekend getaway for my birthday. Is there a driving experience in particular that you would suggest for a small group of foreign enthusiasts? Now, I wonder if he means like a driving school kind of experience. If so, like Rally Ready or Dirt Fish would be fun. Um, or if you mean a road trip. If if it's a road trip, I would say that Northern California, you know, wineries, food, oysters, mountain roads, that kind of stuff is great. I mean, um, I've never talked to someone that drove PCH and regretted it. Like, yeah. You regret the fifth time. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think there's a question of money here. So if you're going to do it... And you can do it a lot of different ways. The cheap version is rent a car with friends and do a trip like PCH. Yeah. Like some iconic place in the United States that is, the roads are fun, the food is good, the sites are great. If you have a little more money, you could do a driving school 
And then if you have a lot of money, you could do one of those road rallies where you can also rent the Corvette or the Ferrari or the Exotic and right. then go on the two, three-day trip, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you could do something like the coastal, what's the, what's uh, like the Driving Wall Awesome rallies. Mm-hmm. You know, those are uh, very affordable. Uh, they don't charge a lot of money to enter the rally. You book your own hotel, and you can either stay at a big-budget hotel or a little-budget hotel. Um, and they're really nice people, and they put on a great event. If you got a bunch of money, um, not going to lie, it's expensive, but the road and track events that, that we do, experiences.roadandtrack.com, you can enter one of those. You can you can rent a car locally for that if you're not if you're coming from out of town. Or, I mean, like, you know, like like uh, you could go to you could go to Vegas and do dream racing, uh, you could do dream racing one day and the Vegas off-roading thing another day, and then you could go to Dig This, the construction fantasy camp, cool, yeah. the third day. You know, Vegas is corny, but, like, all of those things are right there. Um, so, yeah, all good suggestions. Road, Pretty road trip in a rental car. That's probably your cheapest one. Vegas for three days with three different car things, one each day. That's probably next. Uh, pricey road rally or full-on um, driving school, like a rally school or a racing school, that's up there. Um, but three good options there, Adrian. Didn't ask our questions for that tab. Oh, we have NASCAR questions? Oh, let's make sure. Oh, shit. Where am I? Where did I do? Uh, here we go. Oh, I didn't realize we had, uh, we had NASCAR questions. I'm sorry. We'll do these next. Uh, Lucas says, there's a discussion happening in left media, meaning lefty media not left behind media, around banning traffic stops. As someone who is pro-reform, defund the police, sympathetic, but also someone who drives like a dick bag from time to time, and knowing that Hellcats exist, I think this is a horrible idea. Your thoughts? So I looked this up because uh, I knew there was more to this question. And what, what I think he's speaking about is uh, something they call like pretextual traffic stops. Mm-hmm. And there are some cities that have already banned this. And what that is is... Pulling someone over for a broken taillight. Mm-hmm. Pulling someone over for, like, really minute, minute things that mm-hmm. usually, I think, we're being, one, occupying a lot of police officers' time, and then, two, in a lot of communities, being used to target minorities. And sure. And then, you know, that was, all, that was going And oftentimes are somewhat tangentially related to this person's finances and ability to maintain their car in a way that, you know, we have deemed is the minimum standard. Right, like if someone's if someone's poor and their taillight's out, now you write them a ticket for that. Like, well, now can they afford the taillight or they have to pay the ticket? Yeah. And like it can be this, this terrible cycle. So yeah, I and think it, that's it, the nuance it, 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 could, it could escalate to a situation where there's an unfortunate altercation with police where someone could lose their life, yep. you know, or go yep. to jail, yep. you know, for something that's unrelated to the fact that their fucking taillight is broken. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I just read that, finished that book, Policing the Open Road, which talks about the evolution of the police stop. And the evolution of the police stop goes back to prohibition. And seeing someone that you know is a bootlegger driving the other way and you want a reason to stop them because you think they're running booze, but you don't actually have any proof that there's booze in the car. What is the is the is your car a private space or is your car a public space because you're on a public road and the legal arguments for both sides of that. Um, If you're really interested in this, I think that's a good book to read. I mean, it's a dense like textbook like book, but it actually gives a pretty uh, down the middle uh, perspective on police stops and and why not necessarily why 
they should continue to exist or should not continue to exist, but why they have got how they have gotten to where we are today. Um, I think it would if you look to places, uh, other countries, for instance, Dubai, UAE is a good example. There are no police stops in Dubai. The police don't pull you over. But that doesn't mean there's no speed enforcement. There's cameras everywhere. Everywhere. And if yeah. you do something wrong, either a ticket will be mailed to you electronically or physically, or the police, or if you do a crime, the police will show up at your house. They'll just follow you on the cameras back to your house, and then they'll just meet you there. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I do believe in defunding the police. I don't think police shouldn't exist at all, but I think that a system that, that we have now where the police keep killing people shouldn't be i don't think the solution to that is more funds and more equipment right <laughs> you know, like. and i think that the, the term defund was it was like when they they started uh using global warming instead of climate change right and that was like and you know that all the people that said uh, right. global warming at first like oh, right fuck, i think reallocating funds to social yeah. services right. and uh neighborhood based communities and stuff like that as opposed to the military I think instead of defund the police let's say demilitarize the police that's a that's a better word I think that yeah, I agree. that I believe in and and I'm not you know although I'm anti surveillance in a lot of ways um I understand that moving to a camera or digital based speed enforcement system like many other countries use not just the UAE in Holland I got a I got a a, a ticket that was a camera ticket. Yeah, like they have in France, they have in UK. they have them in other countries, yeah. you know. And and it and it's people complain about those too. But as long as they're not being run by for profit private companies, like our the Red Flex scandal here in America, where it was they were literally scamming people with the cameras. If it's actually government and accountable and all that, I'm not hugely against that. As opposed to uh, judgment based or pretextual police stops. Um, and, um, and yeah, you know, and, and I am someone who might drive like a dick bag from time to time, but I typically do that out in the middle of nowhere where nobody is around at a time when the minimum number of people are around. Well, I, I also don't, think the, yeah. the pretextual thing is not saying people can speed and do whatever the fuck they want. Sure. I think that's what the nuance is here. This is you're driving down the street at the speed limit and your taillight is broken and right. the cop uses that to pull you over and occupies the police officer's time, possibly, you know, uh, puts this person in a situation where they can't pay the ticket, the car gets impounded, now they can't go to work. Like, whatever the knock-on effects are, I mean, this is all hypothetical, but I, I just want to tell this, our listener, that's what the goal is. This is not lawlessness. Yeah, yeah, we're not saying there shouldn't be speed limits right. and there shouldn't be any kind of enforcement at all, but... I definitely believe in eliminating pretextual stops, and I definitely think that there is a better system for speed enforcement on our highways than physical pullovers. Um, uh, we are Brad asks about mufflers on the NASCAR race. We've already covered that one earlier in the show. Um, <laughs> Gunnar Ray bought uh, a watch and has a watch question. Uh, I've taken delivery of a Zurich NASA Voyager meteorite. Zurich is X-E-R-I-C, and they make um, very cool watches with kind of funky complications for a reasonable amount of money. They, at first glance, look like they should be a lot more expensive than they are. 
on a deeper glance, you realize why they aren't super expensive because a lot of times when you have a very complicated watch with a sort of complicated time display, they they it's based on another movement or whatever. There's there's always a reason a watch costs what it costs, um, but uh, it apparently. Uh, according to Gunner, has a one-kilometer water resistance rating. Oh, good. And he wants to know how he can test that. Um, you don't need to go uh, on a submarine. That? You can go. You could go to a, a high-end watch repair place, and they have a machine that can test your water resistance without any water. It's like a barometric, like a pressure chamber. I saw it in the in the footage you had from Bob's watches once. Yeah, this very small thing, and it had a plunger on it, and it just tested. Yeah, and cool. it tested. So you you could go test that yourself by going to a, a high end watch repair place and ask them to test your water resistance, and they'll give you a readout, and they'll say your your watch went to eight hundred feet or whatever. Or get a lot of fishing line yeah. and uh, measure <laughs> or it out, and dump then go that out in the shit ocean. in the ocean. Uh, Walker Novak wants to know uh, that we are not the biggest NASCAR fans ever, but what kind of changes to the sport would we like to see? Um, That's a tough one. I'm not sure how. So I was a big anti-NASCAR person for a long time because I was just like, oh, it's only turning left and, and all this stuff. And then working, and I know I've told this story, so I'll make it short, working with Parker Kligerman, who competes in ARCA and NASCAR and I think one of the other Cups series, um, we, we would sit, you know, for a week in Pahrump, or not in Pahrump, uh, Chuck Walla just filming the show, and he explained to me the amount, the challenges they have as drivers, not just the speed, but the proximity, how the air is working around the cars, how getting too close to someone on the left can make a low-pressure zone on the right, or, like, all this weird stuff, and they're managing all of that. And when, and that made me appreciate it more, but I think what's hard is, is, capturing that and displaying it to people so i think getting rid of not getting rid of but like reducing the amount of the wide overhead shot that just shows the whole group of cars like you need that but the uh, the addition lately of onboard cameras not just uh behind the driver that 360 like camera 360 cool. camera yeah. the stuff like it, the more cameras they can put on the cars as drive to survive has shown the the more you can put the purse like the viewer in the moment and help them understand how fast they're going, how close they are to other cars. Like, it raises the excitement level, and that, I think, would help the viewer understand what the drivers are doing and that they are not, as so many of us have said, you know, simply turning left. Like, the, that driving is hard and yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I've done the NASCAR experience in, in Vegas, and it is hard. And they, 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 they have you work your way up to the higher speeds, and, and I was pretty good at it compared to you know their average tourists so they let me go a little quicker than than the novices get to go and and when you start going you know 160 plus around the track that track shrinks pretty quick (laughs) Um, and uh and you start feeling you know the the real the slicks really you know when a track is banked that much and a slick still has to do work You're like, oh, this is this it's is like thirty degrees, right? Yeah, it's I've big. stood there. It's, it's a big bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so for me, you know, the biggest thing that they could do, they've already done. They've updated the cars to be more like uh, the V eight supercars that you have in Australia. They look a little more like the regular cars. They have real lights. They've got wheels that are more like you know they have different gearboxes, and they've 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 brought the cars to the modern era. Um, or much more of the modern era anyway. And so that helps me. Um, you know, I find the road courses to be interesting. Yeah. I know 
that's not what their core audience goes for. I think stuff like this that they're doing at the Coliseum, unconventional tracks. I'd love to see a street circuit. I'd love to see a, you know, they set up that Long Beach course. Mm-hmm. Let's have a fucking NASCAR race at Long Beach, you know, on the streets. Uh, that could be real cool. I think they're adding more road courses this season because mm-hmm. they've just, there's a lot of the market that, or a lot of car enthusiasts that want to see that. Yeah. I'd be curious to know how many people that, you know, uh, arrive to watch the road course ones if they then will go watch the ovals. Like, will they have that trickle-down effect of yeah. just now they're fans of the driver, they want to see how they do or not. Road courses, I mean, road courses are even mo- more in the middle of nowhere than ovals. <laughs> oh, but know? I mean, like, like, if you tune in. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're yeah, willing yeah, to tune yeah, in TV, for them at Watkins, yeah. Yeah. you're going to watch them at Daytona. I yeah. And, and um, you know, if they... If they really uh, can get, you know, they have a they have their own version of a drive to survive, right? It's on like USA or something, right? What's it called? Oh, man, I, don't, I, do I not can't know. remember. I can't remember, but um, you know the, that that series, you know, has made me a lot more interested in Formula One for sure because the I care more about the storytelling than I do about the race, and so. They may, there may be other people like me. I don't know if there are. Maybe not. Maybe people just care about the race and they don't care about the story and the drivers are just robots, you know. But, but to me, the story is more interesting than the race itself. Um, the race is sort of the, the result of the story, you know. It's like we saw the story and now let's see how, the ra- how, how these efforts play out during the race. So if all you see is the car going around in a circle for one, you know, one day and you don't, know about what has led up to them getting there and being there, especially if you're not in the top three. Um, I think most people care about the drivers. I think what's good about Drive to Survive is that it it's like a speed, it's like a, a compressed course. It's like you went to summer school, and now you know everything about these drivers and where they've come from, whereas it, before, if you were just watching NASCAR and other racing series, you'd have to watch five years of racing and then you have to like read the articles and find information about these like and then you go well now dale's my guy or now parker's my person or whatever mm-hmm. like it just takes longer and now you can watch one season of a show you learn about all the people you you go oh i like this character i like this driver and now you're a fan of that person yeah. so it just speeds that process up yeah uh two more uh sean gallagher wants a fifteen thousand dollar daily driver that will be a sensory deprivation chamber for the drive home after a long day at work not super concerned about running costs but nothing absurd like Tavarish would buy needs all-wheal drive um I mean, any Lexus I mean, product? Yeah, the thing about, you know, oh, Lexus, the LS, then I don't know if you're going to get all-wheel drive for fifth, the one that's 15 grand. You will get you get a Lexus ES350 with all-wheel drive for 15 grand. Yeah. Um, that Whatever the nicest, newest one is, that that'll get you. That is definitely a, like, a chamber. You yeah. You won't hear anything. Yeah. Lexus, I would say Lexus ES is, is where you probably want to want to start there. Uh, last one, um... From a UK fan, Simon Kilby, uh, listening to your recent list of upcoming legal-to-import cars, how come no mention was made to the TVR Tuscan from 1998? Um, Well, no mention was made because we didn't make that list. We were reading another website's list. Uh, I agree that the Tuscan is probably a good car to import, although there's nobody in America that would have any idea how to work on a, t- yeah. a Tuscan. And I've heard they need a lot of attention. Yeah, there's a, there is a guy in California who, I don't know what he has done. Um, it's been, it's shady, but he has multiple TVRs 
Um, and I've seen him around at events. He's got a Sagaris. I think he has a Tuscan. I think he has either a Griffith or a Cerbera also. And um, I love seeing a TVR around. I have no... That might be one of the worst cars ever that I might want to own. I don't know. Uh, but I, they're really weird. They're, they're bizarre uh, cars. I have no... Good luck finding anybody in America that has ever worked on one. Yeah. I've never even heard of somebody working on one. Um, but uh, I don't know why it was an auto blog or something left it off their list. But yeah, 1998. Yeah, good point. Might want to import a TVR Tuscan. All right. Well, that's our uh, that's our show for the day. Uh, Sunday, uh, the 5th, is going to be the Clash at the Coliseum. Uh, if you go to the show, our, our show description here, the link, the show notes, uh, we'll put a link to grab tickets. Uh, Zach and I will be here. I think we're going to be sitting over there uh, at the at the end underneath the, uh, what do you call that thing? The, aqued, the aqueduct looking thing where the Cypress oh, yeah. Hill stage is. Yep. That's where we were last year. We'll probably be there again. It's a really, really cool experience, and um, the tickets aren't expensive. It, 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 every, I mean, uh, you know, unlike a football game, like every seat is awesome. We're at the yeah, very top very of the true. stadium right now, and it's probably better actually to be up higher. I mean, if you if you if you get what you think are the crappiest tickets in the house, you'll probably have an amazing view. Yeah, you will of of the whole race. You can see the entire track from any seat uh, in the whole place. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside the outside the stadium itself, around the circumference of the property. Um, it's a it's a really cool experience, especially if you've never been to a NASCAR race or thought about going to a NASCAR race, and you're in LA. Like this one's right here. It's just you don't. It's not a big deal to get to, um, and it's going to be very fun. Uh, so hit the link in the uh, the show notes. Grab yourself uh, some tickets, and uh, if you see us at the race on Sunday, please flag us down and say hello. And um, thanks for listening. And is that it? Anything else? All right. We will see you guys. We'll be back uh, uh, tomorrow for the live people. Uh, Johnny Lieberman, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, Be yapping it up about something. Don't even know. (laughs) Bring your earplugs. Uh, And we were going to have Bucky uh, LASIK on this week, but we we had to bump it to... um, like two weeks from now, he's traveling next week, but the week after that, Bucky will come in. He's been doing a lot of cool stuff with Subaru, cool. and uh, that'll be fun. So thanks to you guys all for listening. Uh, thanks to NASCAR for having us out here today and getting us set up with some passes for Sunday. Very cool stuff, and we'll see you guys later. Bye.